Welcome to the Sensory Change Podcast, where we learn to think differently as a community supporting sensory kids at all levels. We share all sensory matters through discussions and interviews with experts in the field to get practical ideas and simple strategies to implement in day-to-day life. Here is your host and author of Against the Odds, Dana Latter. Jackie DeVry is the director of the Crossroads Center in New Jersey, specializing in neurofeedback training and wellness therapies. Jackie specializes in understanding the whole picture for each client and applying the right approach for their situation using energy therapies, neurotherapy, sound therapy, vibroacoustic therapy to help her clients to maximize their potential. Hello, Jackie. Good morning. So, Jackie, could you tell us how you came across neurofeedback and neurostudies at first? Um, well, back in about um, 2002, um, I started experiencing health issues. And in a two-year period, my health severely declined to the point where I was dying. Wow. And I could no longer think. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Fortunately, I found some functional practitioners. They didn't know what was wrong with me, but they put me on amino acids, which saved my life. Um, And then they really didn't know what to do with me because I reacted to everything. I I couldn't take anything. (laughs) So um, eventually, because I was so highly reactive and mostly what they were trying to do was give supplements, that didn't work for me. They um, suggested a couple of different things, one of which was neurofeedback. And uh, that's how I was introduced to neurofeedback, was through my own loss of brain function. Prior to that, I had spent 28 years at IBM as a um, a research scientist. And can you tell my listeners a little bit about neurofeedback, what it is, and how can children benefit from it? Yeah, they're neurofeedback. So one of the the things that I say about neurofeedback is that's a very general word. Um, It's kind of like walking into a grocery store and saying, I want vegetables. Um, There's a lot of different kinds and different vegetables taste differently and do different things for your body. So in the neurofeedback world, there are a lot of different approaches to neurofeedback, different modalities. And the earliest neurofeedback modalities, what I call traditional neurofeedback, um, works, but it works generally pretty slowly. And I was never one for things that took a long time. So um, I was fortunate in that in my journey through um, learning about neurofeedback and experiencing it and then, and then becoming a neurofeedback practitioner, um, I have been able to um, align myself with modalities of neurofeedback that work um, much faster than what is which what is called traditional neurofeedback. So the modality that I use the most is called infraslow fluctuation neurofeedback. And so what neurofeedback does is it uses it uses information coming from the brain, the brain waves, with little sensors that, that are stuck onto the head, and those are analyzed by a computer program. 
And based on what the brain waves are doing, the computer program gives feedback to the brain. Now, some people think that, oh, that must mean you're sending like electricity into my brain or something like that, but that's not at all the case. The feedback to the brain is very, very simple. It's little sounds, it's little dongs and bells and things that go off. Um, and it's also, if you happen to be watching a visual presentation of, let's say, a movie, it, it's also providing feedback through how bright or dim the movie is. And so this feedback, the sounds and the, the brightness or dimness of the screen that someone's using, um, what that does is that doesn't tell your mind anything. Your mind doesn't know what to make of any of these things. But the brain intrinsically does know what to make of these things. And so the brain is sort of in a discovery mode about what it's doing. And as it becomes aware of what it's doing, then it changes because it, the brain ultimately wants to run in a most optimized manner. Um, our whole body does, and it's doing the best that it can given whatever circumstances we're encountering. So um, the feedback gives the brain information. Again, I'm not saying the mind, I'm specifically saying the brain, and the brain changes. And the changes, depending on what type of modality you're using and the kind of circumstances an individual has, the changes can happen very, very quickly. Huh. And especially with children on the autistic spectrum, what are the modalities you'd be using? Or? So um, InfraSlow is most often the first modality that I would use with children that are on the autistic spectrum. Um, if a child has any seizure activity, then we always start with what's called sensory motor rhythm training because that type of neurofeedback, that's a more traditional neurofeedback, but that type of neurofeedback has been found to be very stabilizing for the brain. And so when we have someone that has any kind of seizure activity or even subclinical brain spikes, what we wanna do is we wanna stabilize the system first, and then we wanna go into um, supporting change. Uh-huh. And can you share with us an, a special story about a change that took place with a child? So I have a lot of them. Um, you know, uh, with some children, it's like you have a child who's nonverbal and you do neurofeedback and all of a sudden they're saying words and you didn't even know they had language. So, you know, pathways can open up. Um, I have a little boy that I've been working with, and, and some cases are long, some cases are short, but this little boy was very far down on the spectrum initially, and I've worked with him for two and a half years, and now he is in a traditional kindergarten. He has a one-on-one aide. He is speaking fluently. He's now even started asking questions and he is intensely advanced for his age. So he's six and he's probably cognitively and academically more at like an eight-year-old level. Wow. You know, a lot of times kids on the spectrum, they have gifts that we don't understand. Um, this particular little boy is amazingly artistic. And, um, you know, so 
the brain wiring in autism is often unique. So in those cases, you don't want to train to what they call a normative database because a normative database tries to make everything normal and you don't want to train someone's gifts away. So things like, so I, I should have differentiated something before. So things there are in the neurofeedback world, there's passive neurofeedback and there's active neurofeedback. So passive neurofeedback is where we're giving the brain information and letting the brain decide what it should do with it. Um, active neurofeedback is more like where I've decided, okay, we want this network or this area of the brain to function, quote unquote, more normally. Okay. So you train against a normative database or a normative set of statistics. So when we use passive neurofeedback, what we're doing is we're letting the brain make the decisions about what is right for this brain. Okay. And that's extremely, it's, it's a, it's a very big difference and it's extremely important. Uh -huh. And how do you decide upon the treatment? Is it brain mapping or just uh, general? Absolutely. Um, I, I all, as, as often as possible. Now with kids on the spectrum, you can't always do a QEG that might not work, but, um, wherever it's possible, I always start with a quantitative EEG. I start with a comprehensive health history because we're looking to understand like, how did we get to where we are? Okay. So in the, the little boy that I was referencing, who's now in a traditional kindergarten, you know, there were a lot of things that happened with him. Um, he was delivered by C-section. So we know that, you know, the normal um, implanting of probiotics that you get through a vaginal delivery didn't happen. His mother didn't breastfeed, so he didn't get that good stuff. And at a very early age, I think he was like four, he was exposed to a very bad virus. And then unfortunately, his pediatrician decided to maintain the vaccination schedule and two weeks later vaccinated him with a bunch of stuff. And so then he, his body couldn't manage all of that. So when I think about, um, when I work with someone, um, I think about all of those factors, all of those factors are giving me a lot of information about the state of the body. And so I'm using that information, not only in the neurofeedback choices that I make, but also in the guidance that I give families, parents of the, of children, what types of tests should be run for a child. So we can see what is the condition of the GI tract? What are, what are the metabolic pieces that might be affecting the child and pushing them in this particular direction? Um, because you have to work, you have to think holistically, you have to work from a complete picture of what's there. And then, of course, there's also the pieces around toxicity. What kinds of toxicity has this child been exposed to? What was the mother's state when she was carrying the child? Did she have amalgam fillings? Was she exposed to things? Did she have the Rogam shot, which they now have come out with and said, oh, yes, that's filled with mercury? You know, all of these things are going to make a difference. And so you have to think very, very broadly and holistically about what needs to happen for a child. And so 
part of what I do is I, I think very holistically that way. And I guide people either through um, detoxification protocols. I'm probably the only neurotherapist practitioner that does an ionic foot bath while someone is doing neurofeedback. But I have, I have you captive for 30 minutes so you get an ionic foot bath while you're sitting there doing neurofeedback. And so I'm supporting the body's detoxification mechanisms. So all of these things go into the whole picture of how I work. Uh, I read on the website that you also uh, treat the primitive reflexes. Absolutely we do. I have training in a number of different systems. And so what happens with neurofeedback Neurofeedback opens the neurological system in a way that nothing else that I've found does. So it makes the neurological system both relaxed and very receptive. And in that state of receptivity, what we want to do is we want to enhance the neurodevelopment of the child. So kids go from um, the neurofeedback right into a session where they're getting um, everything again, it's all integrated. It's not like little blocks that are blocked out, but they're getting work on primitive reflexes. They're getting cranial sacral fascial release work. They're mm-hmm. getting, um, if a, if a child has, um, drainage issues. So if they're, if they seem to be very toxic, we're integrating, um, lymphatic drainage and we use the, uh, from the Klinghart group, They have this Sophia Flow Cream. We use the Sophia Flow Cream to actually reestablish a healthy microbiome in the lymphatic system. Um, And we also do visceral manipulation to kind of open up the whole GI tract and get that working well. So you can kind of see that we've kind of mushed a lot of things together. But they're all the things that kids need to really um, do their very best, to be the best that they can be. And that's what we're going after. Uh And you believe that if you start with primitive reflexes and then go on to the neurofeedback is the best plan or you do it at the same time, kind of? Um, So you're saying like, do you do those independently and do primitive reflex work first and then do neurofeedback later? Is that what you're asking? Yes, um, you yes. can certainly do that. Um, one of the things that I have found that's been fascinating to me, and I would not have expected, you know, I, I this wasn't in my awareness um, some time ago, but um, one of the things that seems to block primitive reflexes is toxicity. So um, I find that it's very important to be integrating um detoxification strategies along with primitive reflex work because as those pathways are opened or the toxins are released on those neural pathways, the primitive reflexes integrate much more easily. So um, I know that um, you've spoken to Bonnie Brandes about quantum reflex integration. And it's very interesting because the laser therapy that she uses can stimulate the mitochondria and help the mitochondria push the toxins out of the cells. So that's one way, that kind of combination pathway, that's one way to help detoxification. Um, 
we do other types of detoxification alongside using quantum reflex integration because we live in New Jersey and we appear to be in a very toxic environment. So most of the people that I work with need um, additional support. Uh So what kind of additional support do you offer kids on the toxic side? So one of the things we do is we do a hair trace mineral analysis. And that allows Mm -hmm. us to see kind of what the toxic load might look like. Now, that's a little bit interesting because a lot of kids on the spectrum don't excrete. So sometimes we see a hair analysis that suggests that nothing is coming out on of anything in the hair. Um, and in that case, you can kind of figure that, well, what we have to work on is we have to work on um, opening up the detoxification pathways and giving the body the energy to be able to detoxify. But sometimes the hair trace mineral analysis really lets us see what is prevalent, what's coming out from the body. And, you know, we see everything from high aluminum levels, high lead, high mercury, high tin, high cadmium. Um, and so based on, based on what's coming out, and there's, there's, other, there's other markers that we also follow. So there's um, something that was developed called the counting rules. Um, and we utilize that sometimes to kind of say, yes, based on the counting rules, there is toxicity here. So then we need to proceed. Um, what I use most often, um, I, I, I do use different products, but most often, um, if someone is high in aluminum or high in chemicals, um, which actually I test a different way, but um, if they if they ha- if they show that, the first thing I usually have people utilize is a product called TRS Toxin Removal System, and we have seen very good results with that particular product um, in terms of reducing aluminum load. Um, for uh, for kids that are showing either elevated lead or mercury, or sometimes they don't show it, but what you see is you see very low lithium levels coming out in their hair because mercury tends to bind up lithium. What we use is we use a, a compound called NBMI, and that compound is extremely effective at... Um, altering mercury it it sort of binds with the mercury um and it it doesn't let go i mean that's the biggest problem with any of these detoxification strategies is you don't ever want redistribution so we use that product because it really doesn't ever let go of mercury um and we use that to help get the heavy metals like mercury or lead out of the system Wow. And um, Jackie, what can people expect in a standard neurofeedback session? Um, Do you mean what does it look like or what kind of results can you expect to see? Both, if you can. (laughs) Okay, so in a a typical session at my practice, and I'm going to just say that my practice is not typical. (laughs) Um, Kids come in, they choose a movie. Um, they, uh, they sit, sit in a chair, um, with a, with a foot bath. So I, I mentioned that we use the, we do use the ion cleanse system. I have found that that is 
the best one. Um, so they're sitting there, they're having a foot bath and they're watching their movie and they have sensors on their head. Um, depending on the child, depending on the level of analysis that we've done and how far along they are, sometimes we're just using a few sensors and we're doing um, very specific things to reduce anxiety or to uh, reduce OCD or just to help them be more balanced. And then sometimes we're going much more deeper and we're doing what's called full cap training. So we're using um, a neurofeedback cap on their head. And we are um, targeting specific gyra inside the brain that the QEG has allowed me to see either need more activation or less activation. So that's what their session looks like. Um, typically, a session is 45 minutes long with about 20 to 30 minutes of neurofeedback incorporated in, in that. And then they they leave that and they go to... We have a number of different um, session or therapy rooms in my practice. We have one which is the movement room where there's a, a mini trampoline and giant pillows and other tools and equipment that they like to use. And um, we might do some movement work with them in there. And then they transition to table work where we're doing the primitive reflex work, the cranial work, the fascia unwinding work. Um, those pieces are occurring after that. So a typical session at my center is about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of what you see after that, usually you see a child who's much more relaxed, um, possibly much more communicative, uh, or, or even just more aware. Um, I've just started working with a little boy who has um, epilepsy, and, you know, we're only like four sessions in, but the biggest thing that his mother has noticed is that he's paying attention to everything now and he's tracking what his brother's doing and trying to engage with his brother, whereas before he didn't do any of those things. Wow. And um, typically on the autistic spectrum, I mean, would you have the kids borrow the equipment to do in their house as well or is it just office based um i do have kids that come in um periodically and then do home training and sometimes that's a good solution for um people who live far away um i always so the um the infraslow fluctuation work that has to start with a, a bunch of in office sessions because we have to find what the proper frequency is for each child. So um, when we use that modality, you really have to start with a QEEG and then, and then work, work with us on finding the proper frequencies. So when people live far away, um, you know, they would usually come for, you know, a 10 or a 14 day um, intensive where we work on identifying that and then they can take some equipment home with them. Um, but in general, it really works better to have a, a, a regular cycle of sessions with someone that's trained in that particular modality because we, we can see a lot of things that a parent isn't for. 
So it, it's, it's best generally to be working with a, a practitioner who's at least, you know, that you can see once every few weeks at a minimum to, uh, to maximize your results. Uh-huh. And um, Jackie, how can parents get in touch with you? Um, people can call me on my business line. It's 201-253-0345. Or they can send me email. My email is um, Jackie DeVries, my name, at mac.com, M-A-C dot C-O-M. Um, you know, that those are, those are usually the best ways I am on Facebook and some people message me on Facebook that works too. Although it's not as direct as the other two approaches that I mentioned. My website is, um, crossroads center of OFNJ.com. And your work seems amazing because I think the combination of all the different modalities, that's the way to to help these kids? Well, that's kind of been a long learning process. You know, in the beginning, I, so I started doing neurofeedback in 2007 for, um, somehow the autistic families found me in New Jersey. Um, and I started doing the work and I was learning a lot, okay? So um, my early work was learning, learning, learning. And then I started learning different modalities or different orientations. So I went to a fascia, a fascia release workshop and I, I learned something fascinating while I was there. So you were talking about primitive reflexes. Yeah. If you have fascia strain in the system, okay, in the body, so what is fascia? Fascia is the connective tissue. It's the stuff that holds us together, okay? Mm -hmm. But if you have strain in your fascia, that can prevent the primitive reflex from integrating because it's like the primitive reflex is trying to do one thing and the fascia strain might be doing the exact opposite. So it's really each, each child is really an exploration of what's present and what do we need to, what do we need to unravel here to help put ease in the body so that the body can function the way it was designed to. Because our bodies are truly amazing in their capacity to restore themselves and to function even with all kinds of stresses and strains going on. And so our job, or the job I've taken on anyway, is to figure out what are those stresses and strains, how do we relieve the system from those stresses and strains so that it can function as normally as possible. Exactly. I wrote a book uh, about the journey I had with my sons uh, together with uh, Dr. Press from New Jersey uh, Vision Therapy. Are you familiar with uh, Vision I, Therapy? I'm familiar with Vision Therapy and I know Dr. Press. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, privileged that he contributed to my book. So that was also part of our journey, vision therapy. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. And, and, and that's, you know, that's a, there are so many ways to kind of um, peel off the system. Vision therapy is one. Movement is one. There's, there's just so many different angles that you can come at it. Um, I think that for me, my focus has been figuring out each child so that we're doing the best things for each child. Um, 
So that's just that's just how I've that's how I've come at it. But vision therapy is also very powerful. It is. It is. To think all the modalities together, it's what every child needs. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jackie. It was really a pleasure. You're very welcome. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye. Thank you for listening to this Sensory Change podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe.